0: Hi everyone and welcome to the Smart Cities Chronicles podcast, your podcast for everything smart cities, action and investment and outcomes. My name is Adam Beck, your host of the Chronicles and my day job, I uh, represent the Smart Cities Council here in the Australia and New Zealand region. Uh, Excited with this episode of the Chronicles uh, as we feature one of our keynote speakers at our upcoming Smart Cities Week Australia event later in the year. Uh, 30 october through the first of november in sydney and joining me is our international keynote zach bookman zach how are you
1: i'm fantastic thanks for having me adam
0: no it's a pleasure i'm looking forward to this one um zach i'm gonna um i'm gonna ask you to start by sharing with our listeners uh a a bit of a bio who who you are and, and what you do to give us a sense of who we're talking to today
1: Sure. I'm co-founder and CEO of OpenGov.com. We are a venture-backed enterprise software company headquartered in Silicon Valley. We sell budgeting, performance, and communications and reporting software to all of our nation's state and local governments, and we're very excited to be uh, uh, coming to Australia. We have about 2,000 governments across uh, uh, the country as well as Canada and Australia who use uh, some of our software and we're powering more effective and accountab- uh, accountable government as a very mission-driven software company.
0: So my, my usual sort of follow-up question to that is, you know, where did this all begin for you? And when I kind of, you know, when, when I sort of stalk you on LinkedIn, I see a very diverse sort of list of list of sort of career uh, sort of roles that you've had. Can you give us a sense of, you know, how you how you go from sort of the U.S. Court of Appeals, um, you go into you go into sort of you know venture capital. You spend some time with the military. How do you sort of what, what's been the journey of ending up to where you are here with, with OpenGov? Mm-hmm.
1: Sure, it's all upside down and backwards, right? Yeah, yeah, that's Um,
0: exactly right.
1: So, I grew up near government. My father, I grew up in Washington, D.C. My father worked at the National Academy of Sciences in in Washington. And government is to D.C., what tech is to the Bay Area. It's kind of everywhere. And while I was an entrepreneur from a young age, I was influenced. So I studied government in college, I went to law school, and I did a master's degree in public administration. And then after grad school, I went to Mexico on a Fulbright Fellowship, and I studied corruption in the Mexican government and transparency uh, as Mexico was trying to open up uh, its government files to promote human rights and fight corruption and and consolidate its then fledgling democratic gains. I had a brief law career. I was a law clerk, as you noted, uh, on the United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit, which is um, one of the courts below the Supreme Court here in the United States. And then I was a trial lawyer in San Francisco uh, for a couple of years before going overseas to Afghanistan. I served as an advisor to United States Army General H.R. McMaster on the Anti-Corruption Task Force, which was set up at the International Security Assistance Forces headquarters in Kabul by General Petraeus. And that was that was fascinating. I spent seven months uh, living in half a shipping container. Uh, and with my co-founders back here in the in the valley, we had been working. So this was 2012. For the prior couple of years, we had been working on understanding with a nonprofit that, that our co-founder and chairman, Joe Lonsdale, uh, who's, a, who's a very successful software entrepreneur. He's a co-founder of Palantir. Uh, technologies, among others, we were trying to understand what was happening to these governments as they were going, literally going bankrupt in the aftermath of the Great Recession. So in 2009, 10, 11, 12 governments were predicted to go bankrupt, local governments, three actually did, and we were kind of coming of age saying, this is crazy, how is this possible for one of these bedrock institutions to really not be on bedrock at all? And we saw they were using like 40-year-old uh, ERP technology, back office systems that were really old and clunky. Staff were banging their heads against the proverbial wall, trying to do their jobs and do analysis and uh, budget the public money and, and, and basically uh, do all these higher order uh, tasks and work to run a more effective and accountable government. And that's when we said – this is this this is a huge problem, and we have to solve it. And it'll be really good for our society and our nation's communities. And we started building a product roadmap to basically solve a lot of the problems with on-premise legacy ERP.
0: So, so let me ask you a question around sort of what's at the core mindset of this approach, and and of course the OpenGov platform you've now created. So, um, if you were to pick a word, Zach, that kind of describes, you know, one word, what is, what is sort of the, you know, the, uh, well, what's at the heart? What What's that? What's that sort of meaningful word that is driving this approach?
1: Oh, it's mission driven. Yeah. Uh, we're a very mission driven company. You know, we could all be doing a lot of things with our lives, uh, other than building software and trying to you know, sell it and deploy it to these very complicated uh, agencies, uh, but we do it because we think it can have a huge impact on our world. And what could be more important? And we want to go home in five or ten years and tell our parents or tell our kids, "Look what we did for our communities." And um, and it's so it's very gratifying, very fulfilling, and it really unites the entire company of OpenGov. Uh, we're drawing incredible talent, and we're winning bigger and bigger deals. Uh, as governments start to adopt a more forward-leaning cloud or you know cloud-based uh, software to to bring them into the twenty-first century,
0: I had the um I had the benefit of um, having um, Scott Waters on the podcast uh, a month or two ago, and and for those that don't know Scott Waters, he's CEO from the city of Darwin up in the Northern Territory here in Australia, um, and he was he was actually telling me that they are. Uh, um, transitioning onto the OpenGov platform and from sort of the little I know about it, there was a real sort of, well, there was a question that I asked him, which I was a little bit scared in asking because I don't know whether he was in in a position to answer it. But I said to him, I said, this really sounds like, you know, if anything, just a level of transparency like we haven't seen before. And I said, I asked him, you know, does that scare you? You know I mean? Opening up your books to the public, you know, how you budget, how you then uh, spend and allocate. I mean, for, for sort of political organizations that could be, that could be really risky. How how have you, how have you found, I mean, in the U S you've got over 2000 sort of cities now on the platform, um, you know, operating in this level of sort of transparency and accountability? What, what have you, what have you, um, really enjoyed seeing that, uh, that, that has come from cities doing this? And of course, what, what have you learned along the way as well, based on their feedback?
1: So, I mean, we actually, you know, a lot of people like to throw stones at, at, you know, public servants and, you know, senior administrators and executives who are, you know, kind of fighting every day for the public good. We, we actually find um, a lot of hardworking, smart people trying really hard to do their jobs and, and be, you know, do a lot of good for their communities. And we saw this huge technology problem. So I'd say a lot of stories are inspiring. We're actually having a lot of customers uh, ask, you know, if they can come work with OpenGov because they see a really big impact and a kind of a movement, if you will. So... Um, Something that has surprised me has been how many good people there actually are in government and that it's just, these are very, they're kind of like holding companies. You know, there's many agencies, each which is kind of like its own business unit, and it's very complicated political and bureaucratic, uh, you know, structures that they have to navigate. So there's a lot of people trying to stand up with courage, make change, and our job is to really help them and empower them and then deliver once they bet on us.
0: I um, I imagine that um, over, over time you've seen um, sort of data and privacy and transparency, um, you know, really play a key role in, in people's um, sort of perception and, and mindset. You know, we, we were certainly living in this really interesting time where, you know the, the throwaway term is you know data is the new oil, and so data's going to power everything yet um you know we have a we have a handful of instances where some big corporates have have sort of left left a nasty taste in our mouth around issues of sort of privacy and data um a i ethics is becoming key you know what what's what's your if you just sort of step back for a moment Zach, and just sort of you know swing back on your chair and 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 sort of make a comment or two about how the world is at the moment around data and ethics and privacy, what what would you sort of describe it as? How how would you sort of, you know, sort of score it at the moment, so to speak?
1: Around, around privacy?
0: Yeah, well, you know, if you want to sort of maybe start with privacy and then we might touch on ethics.
1: Well, so you hit me
0: with the question again, will you? so data privacy ethics um a lot of commentary a lot of chatter a lot of people are scared a lot of its perception a lot of its reality we got some corporates that you know aren't necessarily helping the cause um what what, what's your view on on where we're at with this conversation and how we're dealing with this i suppose
1: well a lot of people i mean people seem to forget that the vast majority of a, a local government or a state or provincial government's business is public. Mm. It's public by nature. It's taxpayers' money. And um, there's actually a relatively circumscribed uh, amount of data that is in fact private. So personally identifiable information, confidential informant data, and state secrets. Th- those you know, uh, you know, are like a large part of what's private. We don't really trade in that data, nor would we ever advocate anything other than the highest standards of privacy or ethics there. What we're talking about is financial and budget data, performance data, basically the core operations of a government. And most government administrators actually know this. There's a little apprehension, but uh, in the U.S., we're seeing strong adoption overall because it's so intuitive and so obvious that um, the government doesn 't own the number of potholes filled uh, in a spreadsheet, nor does it even own you know this budget proposal versus that budget proposal it 's all they have to operate in, in a glass house as I noted and 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 do public meetings and all this. So what we find is after people take the at least mental leap toward a more open and collaborative way of working, they find it saves so much time it builds trust in the community you actually get less questions and and Uh, requests for information and you get much more buy-in from your superiors and your peers as you're trying to you know get budget initiatives through or or new capital projects funded and so we're we're getting really exciting roi uh reports back from customers who are saying this you know i used to spend four hours on this i got it in two minutes now that we have open gov or you know wow we finished our budget process like Three weeks ahead of schedule, and we were a week late last year, which caused a lot of stress. So um, I think it's it's definitely a cultural shift, but I don't think you know the privacy concerns. Uh, they they're certainly not slowing down adoption as we see it.
0: And 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 on that on that sort of culture issue, Zach, um, uh, this this sort of emerging culture of openness is, is is quite an interesting one, isn't it? Because I imagine that. There'd be sort of some, you know, organizations, you know, like, you know m- municipalities, government organizations that, that kind of uh, w- would sort of say, yes, yes, absolutely. You know, this is, this is the approach we should take, but, you know, risk, risk adver- uh, adversary is still, is still very strong. Is there, uh, are, are there some really major barriers to building that culture of openness that you're, you're seeing or indeed that you're seeing being broken down? around um you know l- lack of transparency H- how are we tracking on on building that culture of openness
1: oh i think it's tracking reasonably well i mean look the wheels of government turn slowly the wheels of, the, of any enterprise uh, adoption and overall culture uh take time to to move but um i see it in australia as well i was there last year i had, had a lot of visits i was very impressed a lot of really smart uh, uh, administrators a lot of smart thinkers and a whole ecosystem uh, forming um, and so you know one of the many reasons why I'm excited to, to come over this fall again but uh, no it takes you know it, it takes that ecosystem the uh, if you will the grassroots whether it's entrepreneurs or, uh, or you know or, or kind of policy thinkers on the one hand but it it really takes courageous uh, leaders inside government who want to make change, who want to you know if you will put your fist down on the table and say, "This is the right thing to do we 've got to do it, and those have to work together and i 've seen that interplay in every environment i've worked in, not just the United States but even you know the the changes that were going on in Mexico or the things we were trying to do in Afghanistan uh, so from my own personal vantage point, um, I, I think there's a lot of progress being made and it's hard on people, but uh, you have to separate kind of fact from fiction and, and the, the entire idea that, 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 that there's so much private data in state and local governments. I'm sorry, I just, I just reject. There certainly is, but no one's advocating for any breaches of privacy. People are, people are saying there's a better way to do your work than to be making decisions in back rooms and you know using file cabinets that are covered in dust uh and and you know emailing and shipping paper around when you're building a budget there's a more open and collaborative way of working that involves the community and the uh, elected officials and it happens to be more efficient as well
0: I was uh I was in San Diego last week for a uh for our Smart Cities Week conference there on the West Coast and I was doing a little bit of um uh research prior to uh moderating a session and um uh I I, I I noted on their website, you know, they they've got um a whole I think it's like a whole department around sort of analytics and, and transparency. And yep. um I I was there clicking on a couple of links and you know the next thing I I stumble across is is sort of their their open gov um their open gov sort of you know portal which you know as, as as sort of you know you've been saying it it's it's their it's their budget, it's how they're spending it. Um there's a there's a whole level of detail uh, around that process of budgeting and allocation that i have just never seen before from a municipality. I, I wonder over time, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this, Zach, I, I, I wonder over time whether the whole model of um, sort of rates and taxes and what the community and citizens, you know, contribute through rates and taxes potentially changes over time. I mean, is is there potentially a, a time in the future where it kind of all becomes performance based? Because there's that, of course, that first step of opening it up and being transparent and showing, but then it's like, well, I don't know whether I necessarily agree with the way you're spending that allocation or or, or what, what have you. Do, do you think that, in the future, we could actually see a different model of of taxation or, or rates um, based on citizens holding municipalities and other governments to account based on how they're spending.
1: Not, not really. Sorry if I'm not. Uh, no, no, no. That's uh, all right. I hope I don't sound idealistic. I, I, I think I'm, I'm plenty. Um, but no, I'm not. I'm not foreseeing uh, like a. Political revolution or you know a change in the overall business model of you know how our how our governments work, uh, I do think there 'll be cultural changes. I do think there 'll be technological changes um, It boils down to th- this the effective governments are doing some of these things. A great city manager uh, I named jim Keeney's the city man he was the city manager of Palo Alto and Berkeley uh, among many others and he 's mentored a lot of the top city managers in the United States. He says, trust is the coin of the realm. When you have trust, you can get anything done. You can govern. And when you don't have it, you don't get anything done. Everyone's just griping with each other. And so some of this is is kind of uh, ethereal at that level. It's like, how do you build trust? You want the citizens showing up or knowing what's going on. Because then when you need to build a big capital project or do deferred maintenance or take on a pension problem, you can actually engage and move policy. And, and, uh, and when, when everyone's, you know, not on the same page and not aligned and the manager's fighting with the board and the board is fighting with each other and the CFO doesn't like the manager, nothing works. Mm. And so, uh, it's, it's, uh, I'd say it's a little more nitty gritty at, at that level. And it's not all about the technology. It's about leadership and it's about good governance and effective and accountable, uh, administration. Um, but I'm not, you know, I, I don't. I'm not prognosticating different taxation models and other things. I, I, anything's possible, but I, I guess I haven't thought enough about that.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's all right. Um, the other thing that struck me when I was um, sort of scanning through the San Diego uh, portal, um, one of the things that jumped out at me because it's, uh, and for those for, for those that are listening, um, the OpenGov platform is very visual as well in terms of budgeting and where things are are allocated for expenditure, but um, what jumped out at me um, was was sort of capital expenditure on public utilities. And so I sort of sit here and I think to myself, "Wow, I can see, I can see over time since I've got here, you know, 2010 through 2018, what's been the expenditure, capital improvement works on public utilities in um, city of San Diego." Um, I I imagine that that we've got municipalities that are, you know, using this as a, as a core driver for greater efficiency, you know, g- trying to extract greater gains out of, you know, different expenditure items. Are, are you seeing cities' performance improvement based on the idea of, of opening up this data and it being transparent and very vi- visual? Are, are they getting... Uh, more more efficient and smarter with their with their investment and
1: capital expenditure. Sure, we're getting ex- really cool uh, kind of use cases and and ROI anecdotes all the time. Uh, I just read one a small city in Indiana. They actually discovered um, using the OpenGov software as they were budgeting. They discovered that there was a fund that had been overlooked. Uh, for years. And they had essentially a a budget surplus as a result. And they took the fund and they were able to hire uh, three new uh, firefighters or emergency responders and lower response times. Um, And without, you know, using the software and actually understanding and mapping where all their money was going, they wouldn't have found that. Um, We have others that are, you know, the, the first digital budget book has come out, an entire budget book on the web, uh, all interactive, all linked, and it's saved like weeks of work on the overall budget book. But also, um, it's, it, when you click through it, it's just amazingly intuitive enough that the average you know, ninth grader could understand how the city's operating, where the money's going. And then you know, we run the budget for Richmond, Virginia, and Santa Fe, New Mexico, and Lincoln, Nebraska, and Minneapolis, Minnesota, and many, many other large and complex uh, multi-hundred million or multi-billion dollar enterprises. Um, and, and they're constantly trying to figure out not only how do we get more efficient internally, but how do we deliver just better services? Cause ultimately that's the job of the city. And, um, you know, a big issue these days is capital, uh, projects, capital spending, uh, modeling things correctly. So there's just a world of cool anecdotes and, you know, kind of, if you will, dorky governing hasn't been so cool, uh, as it is now with the advent of new cloud technologies
0: yeah we we get a lot of um, a lot of cities and municipalities who um, you know often cite as their key barriers to sort of investing in smart cities solutions and technology and data that um, you know procurement uh, is a significant barrier and the procurement processes they have also very common you know the response being oh we, we just don't have enough money to invest in these things um, i I imagine that this level of sort of openness and transparency over time is only going to be able to build a, a better position for an organization to engage with, for example, financiers, you know, um, demonstrate and get sort of,
1: Absolutely.
0: you know, license, license to operate from citizens. So this is, uh, I mean, as you say, this is, this is sort of a, a, a culture change, but, um, have you... I'm interested in your, in in sort of your, your, your business development. I imagine you're in front of municipalities all the time and, um, and, and you sort of get the, oh yeah, this is great, but it's, it's just too risky. Um, uh, what, what's your response to that?
1: Well, when you start to get to mission critical processes, like how you build your budget, and how you track the performance across the enterprise of what you're spending your money on, you know, what you're getting for it, um, it starts to be really risky not to do anything. We repeatedly see situations where there's one longtime employee who knows how to use the accounting system or knows how to build the budget or there's a 500,000 row Excel spreadsheet with 60 tabs and that's the, the entire, you know, financial picture or budgeting process for the whole government. What happens if that person retires or gets, gets hit by a bus? Mm. It's extremely dangerous. What happens if a link in Excel breaks? I've seen governments go down for days or even weeks at a time. I'm not kidding. I'm honestly not kidding that we've heard stories about governments going, literally going down. Like dozens of employees just stopped in their tracks, all trying to find a broken link in Excel. And um, so I would argue that using old technology is a lot more risk than uh, than administrators think and not kind of coming into the 21st century and opening up the processes and getting you know adopting the cloud um, is not safe even though it kind of appears well we've done it this way for 10 or 20 years it might feel safe but it's not
0: yeah and, and just on the tech for a moment zach let, let, let's sort of talk about this so, so I want to I want to sort of address you you know as, as sort of the, the tech entrepreneur now um, you know th- there's a lot of platforms out there there's a lot of erp solutions you know day by day you know municipalities are are bombarded by vendors you know by my platform by my platform how how do you navigate you know as as sort of like a supply side organization how do you navigate a, a lot of that noise you know do you do you have particular uh partnerships you know, with with other vendors on the supply side, is OpenGov, you know, truly plug and play? You know, what is what is that sort of part? What does that part of your work look like in terms of how you intersect with all the other, you know, different platforms that are out there, you know, doing different things? But I mean, yep. Yep. Um, that you know, ma- ma- making user experience for a, for a city, of course, it, it is critical. How do you how do you try and maintain that level of really, really sort of good experience with your platform and others that are around.
1: So we integrate with all of these other uh, back office systems. You know, your Oracle accounting system, or your SAP, or your Tyler, or many, many others. Probably 150 different back office systems. So that's kind of become a core uh, practice area, if you will. Um, but I think you win, you win business and hearts and minds by. Um, you know, your customers and your references by, uh, by bending over backwards to make sure they're successful and by making sure your software, you know, does what you promised. Um, which, you know, there's a, a lot of software required to run a budgeting process for instance. Mm-hmm. And, and these ERP players have a lot of software. It's very expensive to build this and it's very expensive to distribute it. And so, uh, I think the industry has kind of fallen into disrepair in large part because uh, vendors have made a lot of promises and they haven't kept them. And so I think rule number one is, um, you know, do what you say you'll do, which is actually our number one value as a company.
0: Mm. I um, I imagine when you deploy OpenGov into an organization, um, you know, you've got a a point of contact or a a sort of, you know, a, a direct client report. Um, I just want to sort of ask you some questions now around, how you're potentially seeing, um, the, the, the government organization change in the way that, that sort of it works. I mean, we, we, we talk about, and when I say we, let's just sort of say, you know, on, on the supply side or the private sector, you know, we often, you know, throw a lot of stones at government, you know, they're, they're siloed, they're, they're, they're compartmentalized. They don't sort of, um, you know, connect. It's very disjointed. They don't know each other. Um, from a budgeting perspective, it's interesting, right? Because this affects every single department, agency, division um, within a government organization. Um, how have you found the evolution of, you know, silo busting within a city, and how does this, how does budgeting and, and transparent and open budgeting potentially play a role in that?
1: I mean, the budgeting process is probably the most collaborative of all processes. You know, every agency, every division director, every department director, everyone who spends money typically needs to propose uh, how much they're going to spend, where, why, uh, how. Um, And that process for most governments across the country occurs, you know, either in some 30-year-old tack-on module with their ERP system that, Doesn't really work or in Microsoft Excel. And so it's really a green field and it's a huge opportunity. And it's why we've centered the company on running this process because it's mission critical, high end user adoption, very high impact, and it really leverages the internet. You know, there's features in our software like, um, you know, a a real time kind of um, Google Docs type feature where you can see who else is budgeting in the software. You know, the managers can approve and deny and comment, full audit trails, all the security and all these other things. And, and you know, collates the whole process uh, and streamlines it and then ties directly to the performance management, as in for every dollar allocated. What's the council priority or what's the, you know, the city or the the province's goal? And then how do you track the outcomes, you know, using our whole set of dashboards and performance Measurement suite and then of course every report can be made public if the administrator wants to the administrator is in control So you can make this public and you can share this and share that And So it's a seamless suite that drives really better management more effective and accountable government as we like to call it
0: On on sort of engagement with the community how How does a how does a municipality? start to have that conversation with the community, you know, you sort of wake up one morning and the the city says, well, you know, we're about to switch it on, Um, you know, citizens, residents, businesses letting you know that uh, we're opening up our books and you can go online and and sort of see it all. I mean, how does, how have you seen cities sort of a alert their citizens to the fact that this is happening and is is there an is there a need for ongoing engagement with the with the community or it's sort of well there it is if you want it you know you can go and visit it or or not but you know fyi kind of thing you know what's been the 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 discussion or the dialogue between sort of the city and the citizens on on this type of open approach
1: so i mean we, you know, including big states, we ha- and we have quite a number of uh, governments going live just in the next month or two, big, big governments, um, do a press release, create a video. Uh, it's a huge opportunity for both the elected and the appointed leadership of the government to basically say, we want to govern better, look at the things we're doing, and have at it. And, and as I like to say sometimes, kill them with kindness, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear sometimes, you know, will oh, want to generate more questions. Not only does the data not support that, it actually generates less questions because people can answer their questions uh, on their own. Um, but I, I would argue if people have lots of questions, give them lots of answers. Mm-hmm. Um, and and with a powerful tool or set of tools, you can give them answers to questions they didn't even know they had. And um, and so, you know, I think it's a huge political win for, for governments uh, and it builds trust and um, it even helps staff, you know, so it's like externally with citizens, you get uh, you, you start building trust, you increase engagement, and you get this fantastic political narrative. And then internally, it's saying, you know, I'm the type of leader that wants to deliver tools. So you can go home for dinner during budget season instead of staying till midnight every night pulling your hair out. Mm,
0: mm, absolutely. I, I would imagine, Zach, that you know, as sort of a, a tech company, if I could just sort of put that label on you for a moment, you're always trying to sort of look ahead as to, you know, what's coming on the horizon. Um, how how do you as an organisation at OpenGov sort of innovate for the future? I mean, you're currently right in the centre of of a huge sort of uh, agenda and, and transition uh, and and, you know, you've got a particular solution. I imagine that sort of gov as we know it today isn't always gonna be the gov of the future, right? How, how might you be sort of looking ahead as to what, what's needed next?
1: So we look to our customers. We're a very uh, customer-driven company and we, we, we have customer advisory board um, and we get their feedback. Here's what's killing me in my process or here's where I think you should go next. And we want to go deeper and deeper into their workflows, potentially start replacing some of the back office systems that are the oldest or cause them the most pain or connect would connect most well with the existing OpenGov suite. So there's just a huge opportunity ahead for us to keep investing. And frankly, we invest more as a percentage of overall revenues or budget on R&D than any company in the industry, I'm sure. Uh, and that's you know, that's a big part of the reason why we've raised venture capital so we can just build, build, build.
0: So looking ahead on that theme, probably the last question I have for you, Zach, is, you know, probably more personally, um, what are you looking forward to in 2019? What, um, what sort of either pet projects or discussions or issues are, are you really sort of excited to be, to be part
1: of? Well, I'm super excited to come uh, visit you and visit with <laughs> the top leaders in Australia. Uh, I'm, I'm quite serious about that. I, I'm really bullish on what's happening there, and I think there's some really smart people making change, and, um, and uh, it could be a big opportunity for us as a company, but really more importantly for, uh, for Australia and the, and the you know, provincial and local governments there. Uh, I'm really excited as we invest in, in R and d and mature our products, um, and we're signing bigger and bigger customers. We just, uh, we just signed our largest deal four weeks ago, uh, and we, in fact, had our largest quarter in company history. And um, there's a lot of momentum, a lot of kind of team spirit here. Uh, I'd personally invite you next time you're you're in the Bay, if you'd like to come, uh, you know, take a look at what we're building, we'd be happy to host you, uh, Adam. And, and I think you'd, you'd get a real kick out of it. Um, so, you know, for me, this is a marriage, if you will, of kind of a, a, a professional interest in entrepreneurship and building a great company and a personal passion around having a big impact. And, um, what, what better way to do that than, than working with our nation's governments and, and, uh, on something that's so important, like how we, you know, collect and then choose to spend our money as a polity.
0: Well, I must say Zach that, um, before I sort of really got exposed to this idea of really open and transparent you know budgeting i um, i it certainly raised a lot of questions for me, and um, data might be the the sort of the new oil, but I think trust is certainly you know the, the currency of the future and you know i don 't think i 'm talking out of school here, but in Australia, you know we have all time lows of you know uh, citizen trust in our banks and our politicians and and sort of other other sort of sectors and, and agencies, so I think um I think openness and transparency and trust is uh, is is going to be uh, certainly uh, a critical um, talking point and, and dialogue for us as a nation here uh, in the region uh, over the coming years and'm and, um, very excited to to certainly um, welcome you to Sydney um, late October this year to be part of Smart Cities Week Australia. But um, look, for now, we're, we're going um, uh, to sort of wrap here. Um, Zach, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to have a chat to us about uh, OpenGov and everything trust and transparency uh, and Smart Cities Week.
1: That's well, a real honour for me. I appreciate it, Adam.
0: No, pleasure. And for our listeners, that's been uh, Zach Bookman, co-founder and CEO of OpenGov. Zach will be keynoting at Smart Cities Week Australia later this year in Sydney, 30th of October through to 1st of November. You can go to smartcitiesweek.com for further information. For our listeners that aren't subscribing to the Smart Cities Chronicles, you can do so via SoundCloud and Spotify and uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, But for now, uh, we look forward to uh, bringing you another feature podcast episode around Smart Cities Week Australia shortly. Uh, We hope that you have uh, an awesome week and keep well.